We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ's likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. It is good to be together tonight and uh, good to be able to look at God's Word together as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at the two little stories from 38 down to 50, and we'll see actually that these stories are really combined really to a larger story uh, that um, begins earlier on in chapter 9, but uh, we'll come to that, we'll talk about how those things are tied in together, but let's begin looking at verse 38. It says, John said to Jesus... Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward." Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life with lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look at this text together that we would learn the importance of humility, the importance of following after Christ, learning from the way that he modeled living so that we might be more consistent, more faithful followers of him. And Lord, we pray that you bless this time. Help us to use it for your glory. May it be effective for our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever find it interesting? Well, when someone uses the word pedantic, doesn't it sound pedantic, right? I've always thought that. And when I use that word, oftentimes I feel like I'm the one that's being pedantic. But regardless, sometimes in seminary, you run across pedantic people. And um, in one particular time, when I was in school and and master's level work, I was in a class, and it was a New Testament class, and one of the people in the class, we were talking about this issue of, of scribal editions. 
And so uh, sometimes through the, the, the manuscripts, when they were writing down manuscripts by hands, scribes would sometimes add something in, the, in the, the, the side column of the manuscript because maybe they had missed something, they wanted to make sure that it was put in there. And sometimes those things would eventually get folded into later manuscripts. And so you have some of these things that have been added. You can kind of tell over uh, looking at all the different manuscripts. And so anyway, the, the teacher was explaining all of this, how this sometimes happens. And, uh, and one of the students... He raises his hand, you know, very defiantly or very enthusiastically. And, of course, the, the teacher calls upon him. And this is, this is how he began his statement. He said, why would someone be so audacious to write their own words in the Word of God? You know, and I thought to myself, perfect. And I thought to myself, I feel like the way that you've just said that seems very audacious, right? And pedantic. And, um, and it was funny because at that point, a friend of mine, we, we eventually, that young man became known as audacious to us, only to us and not to anyone else. Um, and so every time we would see him, I would say, oh, I saw audacious today. And, you know, he's looking good with his bow tie and so on and so forth. And, um, and it's funny, you know, when I think back about it, but... What happens there oftentimes is we begin to think very highly of ourselves. The way that we say things. The way that we present ourselves to other people. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted just as much as anyone else to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. Um, you know, we, 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 we come to this point in our lives where we either have strong opinions about certain things or we think more highly of the things that, uh, that are important to us than maybe others do. I mean, this is my problem as much as it is anyone else's. And I mean, when, how many times I, I can think how many times I'm listening to a sermon being preached and, and I have a tendency to sit in judgment on someone else, to think, you know, why did they organize that sermon that way? It could have been organized so much better this way. Or I think, I haven't. I wish they had a mirror so that they could look at themselves when they're speaking in the mirror and they would realize they need to do away with all of these awkward gestures and things, you know. But I find myself being condemning. I find myself being critical, judgmental, and in my own mind, pedantic, I guess. But um, thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think. We're, we're all tempted to do that, even if we're not verbalizing it. Uh, we think oftentimes if we're... Um, you know, think about all the, the, the very strong opinions that are given at a Thanksgiving meal, right? Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a family full of very strong opinions. Or, or maybe the, the expertise on home repair given by your father or something like that. Um, or, or even like un, unwanted life coaches. You know, we've all had some of those kinds of people step into our life at some point or another, telling us how to parent better, telling us how we ought to, how do we ought to use our money better, how we ought to budget better, how do we ought to schedule our lives out better than what we're doing. And um, we have a tendency to be those people ourselves, to think more highly of the things that we care about or think than other people. But as Christians, thinking too highly of ourselves can have, it can have enormous consequences. And this is what we find in this, in this text. It can have even eternal kinds of consequences. So we look at this story here, and this story is happening in, 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 a, 
in a series of stories, and, and what Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples is something very, very important. If you remember, uh, several weeks ago, we, we looked at the story of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up to the mountain where Jesus was transfigured, and it was an incredible experience. They see him like they've never seen him before, and then they, they, they come down the mountain, and as they get down to the bottom of the mountain, something's, something's happening. The other disciples are gathered around. They're trying to to, to help this man and, and his son, and, and they're struggling with a, a failed exorcism. They weren't able to cast the demon out of the boy, and so Jesus comes on the scene. A couple of things happen. Words are exchanged from the Father and Jesus, but Jesus then expels the demon from the boy and accomplishes this thing that the disciples were unable to do, and he tells them that this is the kind of demon that only is, it comes out with prayer. And doesn't give us a whole lot of other information besides that in regards to kinds of demons, but that's, that's what we get. So then they leave, and they go in throughout the rest of Galilee. They're going, and, and then Jesus begins talking to the disciples, and it says that he tells them almost like secret information. He's explaining to them this, the culminating purpose of everything that he's doing here. It's not so that he could become an earthly king. It's not so that he could overthrow the Roman Empire. This isn't the secret information that he's sharing. The secret information that he's sharing is that he is going to be taken and crucified, and he's going to die, and then he's going to be resurrected. And they don't really get it. They don't fully grasp what he's talking about. In fact, they're a little bit confused to the point where they just decide to, it seems like, talk about something else as they're traveling. And so as they're traveling, they begin to discuss who's the greatest, the Scripture says. Now, it may have been because, you know, Peter, James, and John, they're up on the mountain with, with Jesus as he's being transfigured. They come down, and then there's this kind of squabble, this exorcism that's taking place. And the disciples, the other ones, they couldn't really do it. They couldn't get it done. And then maybe it's this backstory that Peter, James, and John are talking to the rest of them. And they're like, you know what, if we'd have been here probably we, we could have taken care of this whole situation. We probably wouldn't need Jesus to, to expel this demon, right? And some of us are a little bit better at this than others. You know, we got the gift. And, uh, and maybe this is the conversation. As a result, they begin talking about who's really the greatest. And so I think there's a connection here with this exorcism and then the fact that they're talking about exorcism just in the passage right behind it and what we're looking at this evening. But what, what happens here is Jesus hears them talking about who's the greatest or, or, or this kind of information, and he, he exposes the pride that's in their lives. Some of them are thinking they're better than the other ones, more accomplished, more equipped, more able to do the things that they ought to be doing. And he tells them that they're thinking way too highly of themselves. And if really, if they want to be great, they ought to first become nothing. And so it seems as though then John, this is where we get to our passage this evening, John speaks up. And this doesn't happen very often. John's like the quiet one. He's like the, he's the quiet one who has a lot of wisdom, normally doesn't say a whole lot. And John, he speaks up. It's almost as if he's wanting to clarify the conversation, like maybe Jesus didn't really fully understand the conversation that we were having about who was the greatest and, and why we kind of got into this whole discussion. And then he begins to explain to Jesus that there's these people, and it seems like maybe he's even saying this in order to receive some sort of accolade from Jesus to say, oh, that's what you guys were, that's what you guys were talking about. Who is the greatest? There was a guy, he was expelling demons, and he wasn't doing it rightly, and then you tried to tell him to stop. And, you know, I appreciate that. You know what, John? Thank you. Head of the class, right? Maybe he's thinking that's kind of what he's going to receive. doesn't happen that way at 
all. In fact, he gets rebuked, almost something like Peter would experience. And so instead of affirming John, Jesus rebukes him. And then he reminds them all, once again, of the severity of sin and the importance of humility all over again as if they'd forgotten it. So I want us to be conscious of three very important observations this evening as we think about this text. And the first one is going to focus on verses 38 down to verse 41. And this is the observation. Don't be a control freak, but trust in a sovereign God. Don't be a control freak. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 38 again. John says to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is against us is for us. The one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, some of you may not know this about me, but sometimes I have a very big problem of being a control freak. Um, It's a struggle. It's been a lifelong struggle. I think fatherhood brought it out in me, mostly. But uh, I find myself, when things are asked of me, my go-to answer is always no. Always no. 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 Can we do that? No. Can we have candy? No. Can we, you know, it's always no. And I, I fight against that because I want it to sometimes be yes, right? So I don't want it to always be the no guy. But I find myself in this situation just a couple of days ago. Kim, some of you saw these posts on Facebook. Kim needed to go to Target and so, uh, and she said, hey, do you mind, you know, watching everybody while I go to Target? And I said, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm home. Of course I don't mind. That's fine. And so as I kind of walk in, we were sitting on the porch drinking coffee together. And she's, she's like, I said, that's no problem. That's fine. Kids are somewhere else. I walk in. She's gathering her purse, about to walk out the door. And then I realized at that point that both babies were finger painting on the kitchen table. I don't think you heard me. Both babies were finger painting on the kitchen table. And I mean, I'm just like, okay, this is manageable. This is, this is manageable, right? So I'm, I'm standing there, literally, it, if somebody had seen me, they would have thought it was extremely comical. The two are sitting like this, and I'm like, I've got wipes in hand, and I'm like this around everything. It's finger paint. It's not even a big deal, right? I mean, it wipes up. And I'm like this, you know, making sure everybody's not spilling stuff. I mean, it, it's stressful for me. You know, I, I don't mind things, you know. I'm, I'm a huge fan of fun. But it, it needs to be quiet fun and non-messy kind of fun. That's, that's the kind of fun that I'm really into. But, but finger painting doesn't really measure up with it. So I walk into the kitchen to get a towel because things had gotten, gone a little awry. So I go to get a towel to wipe something up, and when I come back, I look down at Rowan, and his entire face is painted white. It's dripping down his chin, and I look over at Violet, and this was literally 20 seconds. Couldn't have been more than 20 seconds. I mean, I didn't go, you know, read a book for an hour. I just went in to grab a towel, came back out. There's paint all over his face, and on his tongue, he's eating the paint. And Violet, I look at her, it's all over her face, and she's painted her left arm all the way up to the shirt. 
I remember having to calm myself. <laughs> but sometimes my desire for control causes my, my children to sin. You get that? Sometimes the way that I desire control causes them to sin. Now, in this instance, those two are so clueless, they wouldn't have a clue about, well, maybe they would. Daddy responds really poorly. But my older two understand this. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Another place he says, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, exacerbate, or don't try to do certain things or, or to control them, to provoke them so that they respond poorly, but instead train them up better to follow after Jesus. The disciples here, they're, they're trying to control this situation. They're trying to control the situation. Other, other men are casting out demons in Jesus' name. And mind you, they're being successful. Did you catch that? They're actually casting out demons in Jesus' name. But because they weren't doing it the way that the disciples were doing it, namely, that they, were, they weren't the ones who were giving up their livelihood and chasing a nomad through Galilee. They, they weren't giving up their homes. They weren't giving up family concerns. They weren't, they weren't following Jesus in the same way even that the disciples were following him. And they wanted them to stop. They felt that they needed to stop. But what does Jesus say? Does he affirm the disciples' zeal in trying to make these guys stop doing this? No. No, he doesn't do that at all. He says if, if someone's being used by God, they will come to understand in the fullness of time what God wants them to know. He's saying, listen, God is sovereign, and you're not, so chill out. And I think that would be helpful for all of us to remember. And sometimes we have that same tendency. We try to, we try to control everything around us, all the things that are happening in our life. We do this in ministry. I mean, just think back about your own experience here at this church in various ministry capacities. We, 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 we do this kind of stuff all of the time. You know, no one's going to tell me how to fold napkins for potluck. I've been doing that for 55 years. I know exactly how to do that. No one's going to tell me how to set up nursery care. No one's going to tell me how to, how to lead a Bible study, for heaven's sakes, or, or, or sing a song or select a song. It happens in other parts of our life as well, doesn't it? We, we try to control people. We try to control people in our own family. So we, we use passive-aggressive ways, don't we? Say things in kind of like a backhanded compliment or like that, what Pastor Grant was talking about, that affirmation sandwich, you know? Or we're just manipulative. We know what gets people going. We know how to make them do exactly what we want them to do. And so we... We try to control them. Or maybe we're just outright aggressive. We, we just say mean things until people bend to our will and do what we tell them to do. But in the end, we're, all, we're just trying to control them. Maybe we have good intentions. We see the end goal. We, we know where we want them to be, and we know that's the best for them. But when we do that, we're forgetting about the sovereignty of God. As Christians, we must... Be humble, we must be respectful, we must 
help other people. But ultimately, we have to rely upon God's plan, God's power. The second observation I want you to notice from our text this evening is don't fail to recognize your own sin, but remember to repent. Don't fail to recognize your own sin, but remember to repent. Look at verse 42. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands going to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is a really serious passage. I want you to consider who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to all the lost sinners out there on the plane? No. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, this is a very serious thing, guys. Pride and arrogance. This is a very serious problem. Jesus has said similar things in other places in the Gospels. He's he's trying to drive home the gravity of sin into the lives of these men. Now, when you look at the passage, verse 42, Jesus says, he uses this phrase, little ones. Now, he could be referring back to the previous passage when he's talking about the children. Remember, he called a little child to himself. And that's typically what we think of when we look at this passage. We sometimes we can't pull it away from its immediate context and we think of children, little ones. Um, but uh, could be referring to that. Could be referring to the people who were attempting to do these exorcisms in his name as well. Could be both. What we need to realize is that the way that we try to control people, the effect that we have upon other people's lives is very, very serious and can have devastating consequences. I've heard story after story after story of, of Christian parents who have, who have controlled every aspect of their children's lives, attempting to shelter them from everything that is happening in the world only to see later on their children just completely abandon the faith. I've heard someone say that that raising kids is kind of like holding a wet bar of soap. If you don't hold on tight enough, it'll slip right through your fingers. If you squeeze too tightly, it'll jump right out of your hand. And the same is true in the way that we try to raise our children. We try to control and we try to do everything. We forget about the sovereignty of God. When we look at this passage, maybe he's talking about prideful adults and he's talking about these little kids that are watching all of these things take place. Maybe he's talking about the disciples and their overreach of authority toward these, these exorcists. And perhaps the, the disciples' forceful attempt to, to stop these men who were expelling the demonic made these, these men second-guess their calling. Maybe... maybe cause them to doubt their mission or, or doubt their legitimacy or maybe to doubt the, the legitimacy of Jesus and his claims to Messiah. I mean, if this is the way his disciples are going to act, surely this can't be the Messiah. 
so very easy to be consumed by the shortfalls and the problems of other people, that controlling aspect, that kind of judgmentalness, and miss completely our own faults. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 of of Matthew. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a big log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We have to recognize our own sin if we're going to be of any value to help anybody else. It's the same kind of thing. I I love traveling. I love flying. One of the things that they always say to you when you get on the plane, right? They go through the entire spiel as though none of us wear seatbelts at home when we're driving our cars to tell us how to put these seatbelts on. But then one of the most important pieces of information is if there is a loss of cabin pressure, what happens? Mass falls from the ceiling. And then you immediately take the mask and you put it on your child, right? No, 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 no. No, you're supposed to be selfish. You're supposed to pay attention to yourself. Put it on your own face and then take care of your child. Why? Because if you pass out, you can't, a passed out person can't put oxygen mask on anybody, right? And isn't it the same for us? If we don't pay attention to our own lives, if we don't pay attention to our own obedience. We don't pay attention to our own spiritual discipline. Of what value will we be to anyone else? We have to recognize our own sin, our own problems. We must take sin seriously. And Jesus, when he he uses this language about cutting off and tearing out, is he literally telling us that we ought to cut off our hands or cut off our feet or gouge out our eyes? No. No. Why? Because it's too radical? No. That's not the reason why. It's because it's ineffective. That's why. I mean, heaven's sakes, if you could cut off your hand and ensure godliness for the rest of your life, wouldn't that be worth it? Right? I mean, heavens, if you could cut off a foot and hobble around for the rest of your life, but you're perfect after that, that's gravy. That's easy. Sin is so much more difficult to kill than that. It's not just an appendage. It's the, it's the life. It's the heart. It's a heart problem, right? So what is he saying? He's saying if we cause others to walk away from the faith, these little ones, he says the consequences are immense. I mean, feel the weight of it. It's, it's like he says, if you cause one of these little ones to walk away from the faith, it would be better for you to have a chain wrapped around your ankle and hooked to a Volkswagen and thrown into the Ohio. That's better. Sometimes we miss out with the biblical language of the gravity of that. Is that a hopeful situation? I don't know, but I feel like Volkswagens weigh quite a bit. Feel like it'd be pretty easy for that Volkswagen to just drag me right down to the bottom and kill me. That's what he's saying. He says, recognize the immense consequences of your life, of your actions. And he lists the hand and, and the foot and the eyes. 
These are best understood in the way that we control our lives, the way that we work with our hands, the way that we walk, the way that we live our lives, our behaviors every single day. Our eyes have been, have been talked about in other places in the gospel as like a window to the soul, our minds, our hearts, what we believe. He's saying focus on your own life and the way that you're living. Be persons, be people, excuse me, of repentance and faith. And then finally, look at number three. Don't forget the stakes, but humbly love one another. Don't forget the stakes, but humbly love one another. Look what he says there again in the passage. He's talking about these, the hand and so on. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better you enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire, than with two hands going to hell. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes being thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt, he says, is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Jesus closes with this really important line about salt. He reminded the disciples of who they are. This is a fundamental reference to their identity. They're salt. You remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? Salt and light. They were supposed to be the positive change agents in the lives of the people around them. They were supposed to be the ones who were like a healing agent, a balm in the lives of the people that are hurting. They were to be the restorative people. And here, he's looking at them, and they're the ones who are being judgmental. They're the ones who are being controlling. They're the ones who are threatening these little ones of walking away completely from following Jesus. So, friends, don't fail to see the importance of your words. Don't fail to see the importance of your actions, your values, Remember the context here. Disciples were thinking of themselves more highly than they should have. As a result, they were, they were causing others to sin, possibly to walk away from the faith. They were misguiding them. They were, were stirring up anger within them. Maybe they were sowing doubts in their hearts. And Jesus says, don't lead others away by your pride and by your sin. But instead, guard your heart against this kind of sin. I think as we wrap up this text this evening, I think Paul's words that he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, as he's speaking to Timothy about how he is to go about ministry, how he is supposed to minister to this flock that God has given him. This is what he says in chapter 4 and verse 16. And I think it would be good for us to take this to heart. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. You're not going to be that effective if you don't keep a watch on yourself. Keep a watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself 
and your hearers. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, what's going on in your life really matters. Pay attention to your own life. Pay attention to the things that you believe and teach because they have eternal consequences. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us, helps us to understand how we might be more equipped followers of Jesus. And God, I pray tonight that as we consider these words, that we would submit ourselves to the sovereignty of Christ, that we would refrain from attempting to control everything in our lives, the people in our lives, and Lord, that we would submit to your will and that we would be conscientious of the, of the people that are watching us, not just, just the children, but the adults in our lives that are watching us to see how we respond, to see how we live out the gospel wondering whether the things that we believe, are they really true? Do we really believe those things? God, help us to be witnesses. I think that's what it boils down to. Help us to be witnesses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.